0: People today have different ideas of what love means. You know, Bible verses on love are the ones that everyone likes on Facebook or Instagram. Love never fails. Like people that aren't even Christian like to retweet that or whatever. Or God is love. And people don't even really understand what they mean. They'll just like it just because it sounds good. But when you... Like certain things and you don't know what it means, you miss the context and you put your own interpretation on what it could mean. For instance, love never fails. What does it actually mean that love never fails? If you just take it at its, you know, face value, you might not understand. You might think, he failed to text me I love you at night. Does that mean it's just lust and it's not love? His love failed for me. Or maybe you're confusing God is love. I think a lot of people today... Confuse God is love, for love is God. And if you think that love is God, these are two completely different things. If you think love is God, then that means that your human idea of love is a supreme virtue that you're supposed to pursue. Love above all else. Yes, that sounds good, but what is our idea of love? Because some people might say, why are you guys against, you know, homosexuals? If all they do, want to do is love each other, doesn't the Bible say God is love? Does the Bible say that love never fails? Or maybe it's just a relationship that people are pursuing. Who Didn't you guys say that God is love, so why can't I do these things I want to do? I love to do this thing or I love to be with this person, so why do you say that it's wrong? Well, it's important to understand, first of all, that love is a property that God has. Love is something that God has. It's an attribute he has. It's not saying that love is God, just as it wouldn't be the same as me saying, Alan is human, therefore human is Alan. Not all humans are made, and thank God they're not. So people aren't really sure about love in today's society. You know, we're seeing less and less. People aren't even getting married. I heard a statistic today that most children that are being born today in couples that are under 30, under 30 are uh, from wedlock. So people that are getting married just because uh, they had children first. So people aren't really sure about love. Is it worth the heartache? Is it worth the pain? You'll see the confusion in our music. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. You hear all these, you know, the artists and everyone's confused. What is love? I don't know what it is. Well, the definition of love, according to the dictionary, Webster's, is Love is a feeling of strong or constant regard for and dedication to someone. So in other words, love does two things that I want to point out tonight. Love joins together and it also separates. When you love someone, you are joined together with people, that person, and it also separates you from others. So we are a community-centered people. We're always looking for where do I fit in? You know, we want to find a job that fits us. We want to find a youth group that fits us. We want to find a group of friends that act the certain way that we do and we want to find where we fit in. And we typically form communities and relationships based on similarities. You know, you form a friendship with someone maybe because you have a, a similar interest. Maybe you're a guy And you became friends with someone because you both like basketball. You're both on the basketball team. So you have similar interests. If you're a girl, maybe you both like Easy Bake Oven. And you became friends through that. So you form friends through similar interests or maybe a similar goal path. Maybe you both want to go to the same college. And you say, oh, I would love to pursue this career. And oh, I would love to do that too. And so you become friends through that. Or maybe you start a band together some form, community, through personal investment. You've just always been friends with this person, so you're going to continue being friends with that person. Or maybe you've shared secrets with that person, or shared fears, or you've experienced tough times with each other. You know, when you go through tragedy, it brings you together in a way that you've never uh, knew before. It brings your relationship to a deeper level. But I want to ask tonight, is that all that you're Uh, relationships are founded upon are these the only things interests goals uh, similar experiences are these the only things that our relationships and communities are founded upon or in other words does it go any deeper is your love for your friends just based on these things or does it go a little bit deeper and the bible says that our love it is our very love for each other that brings us together as a community Our love for each other. It says in John 13, uh, 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why did he say this? Because it's not easy to love one another. She says people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. But it's like obvious, like if you've been friends, it's like me going up to some of you guys that are already friends, been best friends forever. People will know. That your community by your love for one another it's like yeah but we it's natural for us to love one another but we as christians you see are from all different cultures all different abilities and we have different interests we're mismatched communities we don't form over the same interests a lot of times we don't form over a lot of the same goals we have different things and we all come together as one and this is jesus says people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another In Colossians 3.14, it says that love is the bond of perfection. And that's the verse we went over tonight. Love is the bond of perfection. When it says that word bond, what it's actually referring to is ligaments. Love is the ligaments of perfection. It's the things that holds the body together. Think about it this way. What do ligaments do? They hold radically different body parts together. Your fingers are connected through your hands and ultimately connected to your head through tendons, through ligaments. It holds it together. And sometimes the body of Christ has different functions, different people with different abilities. But the love of God is what holds us together. It's the unique love of Christ that will join us together as one body. But love also separates. Love also separates. Now we want to separate for the right reasons one. Don't want to separate over the wrong reasons, but over the right ones. Jesus said, you are my disciples, meaning they were a separate community from the world. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a holy, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So this is the very definition of sanctification. You are set apart from the world and set apart to Jesus. Think about it in the, a modern day illustration, well not modern day, but compared to Jesus, Romeo and Juliet, not modern at all. But think of an illustration, Romeo and Juliet were from two completely different families. They're enemies of one another, right? And they separated themselves because of their love. They separated from their families and separated to each other. That's what love does. Separates you from certain people and joins you together with others. There's a popular contemporary poet, Taylor Swift, who said, (laughs) who said, Romeo, take me somewhere. We can be alone. Just making sure you're paying attention. Oh Tay Tay, happy birthday. <laughs> Sometimes we can separate over the wrong reasons. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter thirteen. This is where we're gonna really focus in tonight. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. It's always a good time. So at the church of Corinth, where Paul was writing this letter, people began to grow. Just like in any community, any church, they were starting to grow in the things of God. they were becoming wise. They started gaining cool spiritual gifts. Some of them spoke in tongues. They're like, wow, this is sweet. This is awesome. Speaking a different language. Like, I wish I could do that. That'd be pretty sweet. I can do it. I know people that can. I can do it. And so as they did, they started growing. Paul reminded them, if you have all of these things and you don't have love, you are nothing. That's what we're about to focus on. A lot of you have probably read 1 Corinthians 13, especially you ladies. Like, oh, the love chapter. You circle it and you highlight it in like 50 different highlight markers. (laughs) There's this one guy that, any of you have the Bibles that are already highlighted? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about or No. There's some Bibles you can buy that are already highlighted, and there's this one guy, he's just like strung out, and he's like, he's highlighting a highlighted Bible. During a Bible study, I'm just like, all right, sorry, random. Verse 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Because some of these churches, especially the church of Corinth, they develop the gift of tongues. That's awesome. It's a good gift. It's cool. Speaking different language. But what it can do is it brings out this spiritual hierarchy. Oh, you don't speak in tongues? Well, sorry, you're not saved. Some churches teach this. You're not really saved until you get the pouring of the, Holy, the second baptism of the Holy Spirit and you start speaking in tongues. That's a sign that you're a Christian. And so people separate, oh, we're going to form our own denomination because you don't speak in tongues, so you're probably not a Christian. And a a more contemporary example, though, many of us might have certain giftings and abilities and look at them in a different way and start looking at other Christians uh, a little bit differently. Oh, yeah, I got this gifting of music, or I got the gift of tongues. And you, you have the gift of what? I see you clean toilets. You got the gift of cleaning toilets. So sorry that the Lord chose to bless you with that gift and not my gift. You know, we don't say these things out loud. But that's the temptation is that sometimes we'll separate over the wrong reasons. And maybe some people will separate over spiritual hierarchy. Which is sad, but it happens. Verse 2 says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Some people, especially today, will separate over knowledge. What can I know about Jesus? You know, and we have this uh, intellectual revolution in Christianity where people in philosophy are starting to uh, come back in, in the schools and people are learning more than ever about God. And it can cause some people to divide. As we know, the Bible says wisdom puffs up or knowledge puffs up. And in many churches, you have this whole debate between Calvinism and Arminianism. And I've been talking to one of my friends recently over the weekend. And he was telling me how many churches are starting to separate over where he lives in a different state. Some people are so radically opposed on these ideas, you know, because one believes that you're not really saved unless God chooses you. And, well, you're probably not elect. So, and so they start believing that. And then on the other side, You have the Arminians looking at them and like, wow, look at these proud, stuck-up people. We don't want to be with them. So it's both sides often that are both in the wrong. Where one side says, we don't want to be with you people. You aren't giving God all the glory. And the other one says, wow, they're so stuck-up. We don't want to be with those people. And we separate over the wrong reasons. Verse 3 says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. You can do everything you want for Jesus. You can give up your entire life. You can give all the self-sacrifice. But self-sacrifice without love is self-destruction. Self-sacrifice without love is self-destruction. Matthew 9.13 says, I desire mercy, Jesus said, and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we have this tendency to separate ourselves from the wrong people for the wrong reasons. But if we have love, our lives should look radically different. Look at verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. You know, these are the subjects we've been going over the past couple weeks with humility, with uh, forgiving. Verse 6 says, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Meaning love, believes the best in others, and hopes the best for them. You know, as we talked about last week, when you're forgiving someone, You want to believe the best of this person, give them the benefit of the doubt when they hurt you and also hope the best for them if they don't want to make amends with you. If that person who you've had a a rough time with wants to leave, you still pray for that person that God gives them the best. You know, that's one of the hardest things that I tried to practice in my own life is when I'm really mad at someone and I'm like, all right, I'm never talking to this person ever again. Then I go to God in prayer and then praying Lord, I pray that you bless that person as I know they're wrong, but I pray that you bless that person in this area or that area. I prayed those prayers before, and they're the hardest prayers to pray, but when you do pray those prayers, it changes your heart inside. Verse 8 says, Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Worldly love just wants to squeeze usefulness out of you. The love of this world, all it really wants to do is take from you. It's survival of the fittest. You know, it's that Darwinianism. Like do whatever you can, don't help the weak, you want to help yourself, you need to survive, you need to reproduce, so do whatever's best for you. So you start forming relationships based on how it works out for you. I'm going to befriend that Asian kid because he's good at math, and I'm going to take his math skills. I'm going to befriend the captain of the the soccer team because maybe I'll learn something from him and I can gain something from him. Worldly love is how can I use these people? Yeah, I'm going to start dating the hottest girl in school because it's going to make me look good. You know, a lot of guys aren't really even concerned about, you know, dating a girl for that relationship, but they want to look good before other guys. So people want things out of other people to help themselves. Matt Chandler said on this, if relationships aren't built on something deeper than finding good restaurants, working at the same company, or having kids in the same activities, they will change whenever the common bond is no longer there. In other words, community is only as strong as what it's built upon. Because you see, if you form relationships, you form friendships only based upon likes, what you'll get out of that person. The minute that you stop getting usefulness out of that person, you'll lose, you'll lose contact with them. You won't care about them or the person won't care about you. You know, maybe the most popular kid in school is talking to you, but the minute he stops getting something out of you that he wants, all right, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Or maybe you have similar interests. You're on the basketball team or whatever. I keep using basketball just because it's off the top of my head, not because I'm picking on the basketball team. It could be anything. It's just I'm not that smart, so I just pick random examples. Say you're on the hockey team. Do, Do people still play hockey? Okay. All right. Let's say you're on the hockey team. And you all throughout high school, you're on the team, you work together, you practice together, you have deep relationships with these people. But once you stop playing hockey, that bond starts to fizzle out. And those of you that are leaders here, and you've probably been through this as I have as well, when you start losing that common bond, you start losing that friendship, unless it's built on something deeper, because community is only as strong as what it's built upon. So moving on, it says in verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love so what does he mean what, what's that talking about i'll tell you i'll try to tell you and that's these giftings and works only give us a hint of what's to come we might hold on to these gifts because they're so cool you know it's so cool to speak in tongues, so cool to prophesy it's so cool to, i don't know what your spiritual gift is you know for me i love to make music i love to rock climb these things are fun But if it starts to separate me from people that are Christians, that are important in the eyes of Jesus, then I've done something wrong. Because right now, these are only a hint of what's to come in heaven. These are only a hint of what Jesus has in store for us. And that's what that imagery is there. Because back in the day, they would have mirrors, but the mirrors aren't like today. They were very dark and dim. They were made of silver, so you couldn't really see yourself, like trying to see your reflection in a spoon. That's kind of like what it was like back in the day. So he was saying, right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see as face to face. That Once it, that in part has been done away with, then we will be made whole. We'll see Jesus. These things are only a hint of what's to come. They're awesome. It gives us joy. It gives us happiness, but only a temporary happiness, which is a hint of what God has in store for us. I mean, think about it. When we get to heaven, you think people are really going to start uh, keep debating about Calvinism and Arminianism? probably not because everyone will know fully we'll have full knowledge so instead of dividing now we should be uniting uniting with who you might ask who should i unite with well i'll tell you i'll tell you who david king david defined as the people that are his friends psalm 119 verse 63 david said anyone who fears you god is my friend anyone who obeys your commandments Anyone who calls himself a Christian, anyone that is a follower of Jesus should be our friends. That's what we should model. But you might ask, what about the people I can't stand? You know, this was our topic of last week. What about the people that just bug me, the people that I just can't forgive? I don't have the heart to do that. How do I forgive these people? What, how do I form a community with these people? We don't jive. I mean, we only jive together and we jive is bad or good bad we always jive together we never connect and here's where i really want to make this point and pay attention because this is something that i've really struck a chord in me and that's the gospel is made up of natural enemies it's not made up of a bunch of friends we don't sing kumbaya together you should expect not to get along with people that are christians You should expect to be offended by people because we're all different cultures and God saves sinful people. D.A. Carson says, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That hit me hard, because there's a lot of people that I don't necessarily get along with, and I don't like. I think they're stuck up. But that's when the gospel reminds me it's, you know, I expect people to, to act in a certain way, right? We expect people to fulfill our expectations like, okay, you're going to do this. You're not going to say this to me. You should say it in this way. If, even though you're right, you should at least say it kindly. We have all these expectations for people to fill that are Christians. When they don't meet those expectations, we, get, we become disappointed. We start writing these people off. But we should expect those things. And the Bible commands us to love our enemies. People form community over any silly little thing. You know, people form community over like, you use the same shampoo, awesome, yeah, we should be friends. Or people be like, oh my gosh, you love climbing, I love climbing, and the minute you start hanging out with them, they're like, I I actually don't like climbing. Like, what, you said you love climbing, like, no, I I don't. Or you start, you know, before you start dating someone, you always, somehow you find everything's in common, right? Like, oh yeah, I love hiking, we should hike all the time, oh yeah, that'd be fun, but the minute you start dating, Let's go hiking. I want to go hiking. But you said that you love hiking. It's like, I always said that to, you know. Moving on. You know, I always think it's funny when we go on Facebook groups uh, and we see all the different things that people just start, the memes that get started. People want to form communities over every silly little thing. They have groups like flinching in bed because you had a dream you were falling. Oh, my gosh, that happens to me too. Or the group... I only check my voicemail to get rid of the little icon on the screen, and people are like there's thousands of people on these things. It's like yes, I thought it was the only one. I made a group. Do you go to bed at night and wake up in the morning? It's the Everyone should join that group, by the way. It changed my life when I knew that there are other people that go to bed at night and they wake up in the morning. If people can bond together over the most minuscule things, shouldn't we be able to join together over God, the most important thing in life? Jesus once said, in John chapter 17, verse 20, he said this, you know, this long, elaborate prayer. And in it, he prayed for us. He prayed for you and me. He said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That always encouraged me, that Jesus took time in the Bible to pray for me. It says in verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I am in them and you are in me. Now pay attention. This is what he says. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and you love them as much as you love me. Now if Jesus was praying this around you, let's say that Jesus was here today and he said, I pray that they would have such perfect unity. Impact Youth Group would have such perfect unity that the world would look at their unity and know that God loves them. Would you be like, oh, that's awkward because I don't get along with that person. I just broke up with that person over there and, oh, that's weird. Is that what you would say? Or would you say yes and amen? I pray that it comes true. And Pastor Tom Crenshaw, who's the most encouraging man I've ever met, he uh, sometimes will, will pray in the morning every time I'm at work and sometimes he'll say, hey, let's, let's have a holy hug and he'll get everyone together. It's always awkward. I hope no one listens to this, but it's awkward. Darn it. I shouldn't have said that. It's not awkward. But it's funny because we'll get together and we'll just hug and then he'll pray over us and we're all tight together. But that's the kind of unity that we should have with each other. This hugging type of unity. No, it illustrates the point because there's sometimes that you have these barriers in front of each other and Jesus wants to break down the barriers with each other. Wants us to be family. Wants us to be with each other in community. The Bible says love your enemies. In Romans chapter 12 verse 9 it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. How many of us have just pretended to love people? Like, oh yeah, oh hi, it's great to see you, I love you, yeah, let me pray for you. You walk away like, I can't stand that person. But the Bible says to love them, so I'm trying my best. Really love people. You may say, well, what does it really look like to really love someone? What is our example? I'll give you an example. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or a calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all, all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is to be our example. That is to be the love that we're emulating. But could you do that? Could you put yourself in the blank instead of Jesus put yourself? I am convinced that nothing can ever save us from Bob's love. I know there's no Bob, so I'll use that. Nothing can separate us from the love of Bob. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. It's just ridiculous. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the, the love of Bob. It's just funny because it's like, it's so impossible. It just wouldn't happen, right? And the name Bob is funny. Sorry if your name's Bob. I think about in the book of Hosea where Jesus, you know, told Hosea to marry a prostitute. I've shared this with you many times. You read the book. It's an amazing book. And Hosea says, why are you telling me to keep going back to this prostitute when she always cheats on me? And God said, this is to be the illustration of my love for my people. Even though they keep leaving from me, I will still pursue after them. And when people do such minuscule things to us and offend us in little ways, we'll be so ready to write them off. You know, that was the whole point with last week with the topic of forgiveness. You know, I commission you guys to forgive those people, not just pretend, not just say that you forgive them, but really forgive them by removing bitterness from your heart. And it sounds impossible. Doesn't it sound impossible? Like how do I get rid of, the, how do I ever love someone in that kind of way? Well, that's the point. It is impossible. Why is it that we always look at the Bible and we're always like picking and choosing and saying, humility, I think I can do that. Yeah, um, okay. It says meekness. i need to work on that a little bit, but I can do the rest myself. Why do we always look at it and, and see it as a list of things that we can try to do better? It's not. Apart from God, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you won't be able to fulfill these things. You won't be able to love people with the love of Jesus because you're going to love out of your own strength and you will fail, but love never fails. That's how you know the lo- you have the love of Jesus because it's a love that never fails. It never gives up. It never quits on you. No matter how many times people cheat on you, lie to you, hurt you. You have a love inside of you that says, God loves me so much that he gave his only son for me. He died on the cross for me. Therefore, I can love. I can be offended. I don't care. I don't care what people do to me because it gives me joy when I love people that hate me. It's actually fun to show love to people that can't figure me out. Like I keep telling this person he's weird and I keep telling him that I hate him and he keeps loving me. I don't, I don't understand. It's that impossible love that only comes from Jesus, only by asking Jesus and only spending time with Jesus that we are moved. It may be hard, but it's what God commands us to do. Going back to that tendon, ligament illustration that love is the bond of perfection. Love is really what ties all these attributes together. Humility and, and forgiveness and meekness. All of these things are tied together through love. and makes you perfect. Well, if you think about it this way. The bond of perfection is that uh, love is the ligaments of perfection. It holds everything together. In sports, many of you know that you play sports, one of the worst injuries you can get is what? When you tear a ligament. You know, you break a bone, you're back together in a couple months or a couple weeks even. You break a your wrist, you're fine. But you tear your ACL, you're done for the year. You know, you're done for the season. And you can't just let it heal. You can't just let that ligament heal by itself and say, all right, we're just going to wait. You can wait. But what you have to do is rehab. You have to work on that bond. You have to work on those ligaments in order for it to heal properly and be strong again. So it might be hard when you don't have that bond with someone. It might be hard to try to connect with someone that you can't love out of your own heart. But that's why you have to work on it. And that work has to come through Jesus. Soren Kierkegaard has a quote that I want to share with you as we close. He says... The matter is quite simple. The Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand it we are obliged to act accordingly. Take any words in the New Testament and forget everything except pledging yourself to act accordingly. Whether it be. Deny, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Whether it be love your neighbor as yourself. Whether it be forgive those just as your, father, uh, your heavenly father has forgiven you. Take any word. Sell all that you have and follow me. And pledge yourself to act accordingly. My God, you will say, if I do that, my whole life will be ruined. Herein lies the real place of Christian scholarship. Christian scholarship is the church's prodigious invention To defend itself against the bible to ensure that we can continue to be good christians without the bible coming too close dreadful it is to fall into the hands of the living god yes it is even dreadful to be alone with the new testament every now and then you have to think about the words in scripture and say am i disqualifying myself from being able to follow these things am i rationalizing why i don't have to listen to the bible out of the the things in my heart out of the wickedness in my heart or i'm am i really going to give all to christ because i know that's safe in his hands there's nothing that's going to separate me from him there's nothing that the world can ever do to me no matter how vulnerable i put myself out there or how many times i'm ridiculed i know that i'm safe in in the hands of Jesus. So the question is, would you let Jesus have your heart tonight? Would you surrender yourself wholly to him, knowing that it's safe in his hands? Knowing that when you do, when you lose your life for his sake, that's when you find it.